Welcome to the Game Deflators podcast, episode 26. We have been on a multi-week hiatus with Ryan enjoying his time in Japan. So I'm John, and this is Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and the long-awaited, dearly missed inflation deflation challenge and yes folks i did just get back from a whirlwind trip to the land of the rising sun japan for my honeymoon and it was fantastic and we will address that and more today on what john said episode 26 of the game deflators podcast right here right now take it away john all right man so uh you sound pretty excited given that uh trip so as we always start out, we have pickups each week, and I think you had quite a few pickups. So I'm going to let you start because you had some pretty cool stuff that you brought up from Japan. Okay, folks. So we'll get into this a little bit more, a little bit later, and maybe a little bit next time John, or, uh, John James, and I are all together just so we can get a collective opinion. And if you have any opinions, go ahead and share those with us on social media. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You may have seen some of my hashtag Game Deflator, hashtag Tokyo Takeover uh, posts that I made while I was gone. You're also forgetting uh, YouTube, Google Music, Spotify, and uh, what's the other one? That small one? iTunes? iTunes, yeah. yeah. Get, leave us a five-star review. We don't really... It, it doesn't really matter if you think it's five star. Just leave us a five star because that's what iTunes wants to hear. Yeah, but that's about right. Anyway, so Japan was incredible and the market there is totally different. We picked up all kinds of good stuff. We picked up a and I know you longtime listeners have heard me talk about this before. We got our hands on a Kingdom Hearts PS4 Pro edition. Complete with the game, the controller, it looks like it's brand new, it's in the box, it's glorious. Guess what? We paid like less than what it cost brand new for it there. Used in almost perfect condition. It was fantastic. And we saw two more that we didn't buy because we didn't have enough luggage space. We got a uh, almost glorious, perfectly untouched but it didn't have the box or the little usb part that plugs into the wall adapter part vita for my wife as well she really cleaned house while we were there i got my hands on my favorite console of all time in the famicom uh 30th anniversary i think it's 25th anniversary or 25th anniversary edition game boy micro and the golden faceplate still has that little film that you peel off the front so that it doesn't get stretched before you open it up oh it's so oh it's perfect i love it so much you might as well just move to japan dude with the box you know we're thinking about it we're looking at it we're seeing how much english teachers make and what we can downsize to fit into a and get this so It says that it's more expensive to live in Japan. You don't have to have a car, so you save that expense. But how would you like to downgrade, John, from your lovely new home that you moved into into a 250-square-foot studio apartment without its own washer and dryer unit for a little over 700 USD? Um, Well... That's smaller than my master bedroom. 
so probably not likely. Yeah. And I, I think I pay maybe double that for a full home. Well, the thing is, folks, so with everything that I learned in Japan is that you can get amazing deals on complete in-box video games and consoles that are in impeccable condition. I mean, the things that I saw, the things that I was around, it's absolutely astonishing the secondhand market that they have there. We'll get into that a little bit later, but I picked up like six Vita games. I got three of them were deluxe editions in box with all of the accoutrement and the art books. I mean, everything that should be packaged inside of it was inside of it and looked like it had never been touched for the most part. I mean, their Vita, you know, the little chip disc game disc that they have. So it's not like you have to worry about scratch and wear and tear like you do on discs, but of everything I saw, it was really amazing how well taken care these games and these consoles and the packaging was. It was totally unlike the markets that you see here. And I had a really hard time pricing things out because referencing price charting, it doesn't have any of the listings for that. So it was hard to tell whether the deal I was getting was good. So I kept referring to Amazon and Play Asia. And it seemed like for the most part, what I was paying was at least market price sub what you would consider to be free shipping on most of those purchases if you assumed shipping was like 30 to 40 dollars but we'll get into that in a little bit john what have you picked up recently that's obviously less impressive well, um, I wouldn't say it's less impressive. I did get you a little something while I uh, had a trip out down south. So, Ryan, I'd like to present you with a, uh, a coin purse. Oh. So, oh. Legitimately John. a coin purse. John, I, I'm sorry, sir. I, I should have... There is a coin in there, by no, the I way. No, I know, but I should have told you. When I was in Japan, I got a coin purse. I mean, it was pretty much the same size... But it had three extra pockets. And guess what? I used it to carry six denominations of Japanese Brian, coins. I'm going to stop you right there because you know what's better than one coin purse? Two coin purses. You have two coin purses that have been picked up for you in the last few weeks. Three. Now I you have myself three. one. So you truly are the keeper of you coin. You know what? As soon as I get home, guess what? Instagram, you're getting three coin purses. Uh, tell your mom and well, don't tell your mom and you know, I'll have you know, one of those actually came from my grandma. I, I specifically told her I had a special friend that needed a coin purse and she reluctantly handed it over. That is made in is Guatemala. It, is it the alligator skin? That is made. Yeah. that is made in Guatemala. From true. It says Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Okay. It's close enough. No, no. It, it like it, it says Nicaragua right on it. They, I'm they looking are, at it. They are literally in the same part of the hemisphere. Like it, it is fine. The like same a, part of the, that's a fourth of the earth is a hemisphere. Whatever, sir. It's in the same general area. Maybe an eighth. Maybe an eighth. We'll see. All right. So uh, my least or less impressive pickups this week, and you're wearing my hat. So I picked up, of course, the Sekido Shadows Die Twice Collector's Edition. Impressive on its own. Well, you ordered it okay okay there is a story behind that that is true that many people may want to hear so i ordered it and gamestop lost it 
they literally shipped it to the wrong address. And when I went to that old address where I used to live, it, of course, was not on the porch. And when I called GameStop, they said, well, we delivered it. I said, no, I, uh, I have email records saying that you did not. And uh, you didn't deliver it to the correct address as I requested. So, of course, I got a brand new copy overnighted to me the day after I found out the old one was gone. So somebody well, out there got a free Sekido. Let's, let's be absolutely clear here. So I'm not the only person who's been out of town. John was out of town for a little while. I was watching his house. And he said that Sekido was here. I drove all the way over to John's house and told him that it wasn't here. And then he came home a few days later. So, you know, just order stuff from GameStop and, you know, tell him to send it to the zoo and claim you live there. And then, you know, get whatever you want from them. Because you'll see later on, GameStop's they're changing everything. They're going to start bending over backwards for people well, hold on that are going to start that just is buying news. online. That is upcoming news. That we we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. There's so much tease in the intro to this video. We just, we missed you so much, folks. We did. Well, we missed you, Ryan. It's been far too long since you've been in town and myself. So, uh, okay. In addition to Sekido, I picked up, uh, what's that game called? Job Simulator on the PS4. Um, more on VR in our news section. Uh, but Game Grinder actually picked that game up a while back and I thought it was very interesting. I saw uh, his review and his you know, whole little bit of excitement over the game, so I had to get a copy myself. Uh, and then James actually picked up a copy for me. Luckily, Best Buy had the uh, Salt and Sanctuary Tomb Edition uh, for 16 bucks if you had your uh, player's reward card through, or Best Buy Gamer's Reward. Um, so I got that. Have you played any of Sultan Sanctuary before? No, dude. I've seen so many videos. I want to play that and Dead Cells really bad. And I just I, haven't had an opportunity to. I played some Sultan Sanctuary in a couple strides. I got it because I watched a video on it and I didn't do so well with it. And then I waited a long time, came back to my Vita, which is what I own it on. And played it again, but with more of a, okay, let's look at this through, you know, a real, like, more Dark Souls kind of lens. And I did way better with it. Because it's it's a brutally different game than Dark Souls when it's like, okay, let's have that level of challenge and difficulty in a one-on-one engagement. But now on a 2D plane, and you're not really ready for all of the uh, different elements that the game has. It, it, it took me a couple classes to kind of get into something that I could really kind of feel out a bit. I didn't make it very far into the game because it was hard and there was other stuff to play, but it's definitely a rewarding experience. And I, um, I think that it's definitely something you're going to enjoy because I know you're super stoked for Sekiro. So having this on your shelf, this will be something you can reference back to later on the Switch and you'll be able to enjoy a lot. Yeah, dude, I'm pretty happy about this one. Um, I saw, I think it came out a couple years ago, right? On PC, if I'm correct. Uh, and, I'll uh, look it up. Yeah, you looked that one up. Um, but I know when it came out, on, I think it was PC initially. And when I saw it again, I was like, man, I really want to play this, but I don't want to play it on a PC. So I was crossing my fingers for a console release of a physical copy. And it finally happened. Um, cause as you know, I, I enjoy physical copies of games. So 
Another item I got is Ryan brought back for me a used complete in box copy of Donkey Kong Country. I think it was Country 1 on the Game Boy Color. So uh, that was pretty sweet. And then he also got me a copy of Donkey Kong Country on the Super Famicom. So that was also pretty cool. And speaking of Donkey Kong and going as a segue into our currently playing, I had my recent trip out uh, in the Southeast for a conference I had to do for work. And I decided... What better thing to do than to download an emulator on your phone? Because that's what all normal people do when they're traveling versus just watching movies on the plane. Or, you know, you bring your Switch. Yeah, that too. I just, Which I didn't bring to Japan because I didn't want to lose it. Well, you know, for these business conferences and such, I don't really have an opportunity necessarily to play games. And I hate to bring it on a plane and deal with the hassle of all that. So I just downloaded like an SNES emulator, basically. And I thought, okay, well, let me download Tetris because I want to play some Tetris. Let me download Contra for some stupid reason. Let me download Donkey Kong Country. And let me also download Top Gear. I will have you know, not a single one of those games was easy to play. The And, and James warned me about that too, because I had actually talked to James and said, oh yeah, look what I uh, downloaded on, on my way you know, out of his state for his conference. And uh, he was like, yep, have fun with that touch sensitivity. And I will have you know, James was right. That was the worst experience I've ever had. I think I got past the first overall world of Donkey Kong Country on my phone in a matter of about three hours after constantly dying. So, needless to say, not exactly the best game to play on a, on a cell phone. And as far as current-gen games, I will be looking to start playing Sekido uh, once I finish doing some renovations in my home and getting everything unloaded. So... I will have more to talk about, hopefully, in the next couple weeks. Ryan, have you been playing anything as of late? Well, let me just uh, come back in real quick. So, Sultan Sanctuary was actually originally released on PS4 in March of 2016, followed by Windows May of 2016. So, it actually launched as a PS4, I guess, exclusive for a couple months first. And a digital download, I'm assuming? Uh, yeah, I mean, because there was no... I mean, I never saw any kind of physical release. And then subsequently, uh, I know that I got it on Vita a couple years ago. And it said it was released in March of 17. So that would have been the one-year anniversary. So I probably got it, you know, shortly after that. And, uh, you know, now that it's got a physical copy, it's it's actually really nice, I think, that they're starting to do some of this. Um, we can kind of tie this in in a little bit. Let me talk about what I've been playing lately, and then we'll get into this real quick as the first part of our semi-news section. I know we've got a lot of stuff just from the tease to get into, and then we'll get into the news. This may go a little long, but we'll try to wrap it up. So... Currently, I have been playing, drumroll please. Japanese hentai games on the PS Vita? No. Ah, damn. No. So I have been playing part of my new game's resolution, which would make me the first to actually be doing it. Hey, I'm unpacking a house still, so don't look at me funny. I think James already got his stuff unpacked. You've been... Do you see this game room, Ryan? Do you see a game on the shelf? 
No, I don't. John's very lazy, folks. Lazy? Have you seen my kitchen? Yeah, you should see the work that John's wife has done in his kitchen. Bull. And she's going to like listening to that part for sure. Exactly. She's a hardworking woman. So anyways, I have actually been... Uh, I did not manage to meet up to what I claimed I would do on the last podcast. I have not actually gotten into Zone of the Enders yet. But I did borrow James... Uh, Game Boy Advance SP on my way to Japan and I started playing Zone of the Enders Fist of Mars for the GBA one of my favorite handheld games of all time I played this game through at least twice in the past uh, the first time I ever played it was on a plane ride with the uh, Linkin Park reanimated CD on my Walkman and the for some reason, censored version of Blink-182, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. So forever, this game and those songs from those CDs are linked together. So every time I hear one, I see the other, or see one, I hear the other. Because you can't have two headphones going in the year 2003 with, you know a Game Boy and a Walkman. It just doesn't work that way, folks. And also, surprisingly enough to notice on the way to Japan, I didn't know that the SP doesn't have a headphone jack. I thought that was super weird. It doesn't? No. It doesn't. It's super weird. So I had to, like, mute it and put on my audiobook. By the way, uh, I know that you do tons of advertising through people like us so not a sponsor could be a sponsor huh audible.com has a great version of dune that i've been listening to on my trip check that out it's really good hit us up audible we'd love to tell people about you because they listen to us and they could listen to you as well right this is great because now we can hashtag them and then add them to our socials this is fantastic exactly exactly good good pitch there so um playing that game uh by the way uh this has been brought to you by kirkland signature purified water from costco could be a sponsor yeah okay that they the i i really tried to refrain from being bringing back that joke because i knew that john would jump all over it and i regret doing it although audible is a great sponsor for a lot of people that i listen to hashtag audible yes hashtag audible so anyways uh, but the Game Boy Micro, which is less than half the size of the SP, has an audio jack. Yeah, I. are you sure? I could have sworn in my SP had an audio jack on it. I looked all over. I mean, we can grab James. Maybe he has a different edition than you do, because I know there were several models released with yeah. different like screen brightness things, but I thought that was about all of it. Here, you keep talking. Give me your iPad, and I'll, I'll look this up. So, anyways, uh, I was playing a bunch of Fists of Mars while I was gone. Oh, he's got his puppy on here. Yes, you got to put in your passcode. Sorry, dead zone. Anyways, uh, or dead time, dead air. So, I was playing a bunch of that. If anybody hasn't played it or anybody isn't familiar, it was my new game's resolution for the year. The Zone of the Enders is a uh, Hideo Kojima 
a game for the PS2. It's kind of like a mediocre mech piloting game that's a uh, first person, third person kind of action game. Uh, the second game for PS2 has really good reviews, but nobody ever talks about the GBA game. I've never known anybody else that's talked about it. I've never seen any other coverage of it. I love it to death. I think it's really good. I've been playing through that. I'm like, uh, I'm at like act four out of, I don't know how many, maybe act seven. There's, I can't remember. It's been a couple days since I played it. So it's not fresh on my mind. It's a really good, really unique tactical RPG with a first person shooting and dodging mechanic for the action segments of it. It is a great game. I love it. And I'm happy to be in the middle of it. As soon as I get through this or maybe before I finish this, I don't know. I'll get into zone of the enders one. It's only like a seven hour game. And then I'll finish this and get into zone of the enders two, probably because uh, John picked like a 40-hour RPG. Oh, no, sir. I think mine is more like 50 to 60 hours, and I will likely put in 70, given the type of RPG play that I do. And also, just to kind of go back on that uh, GBASP, yeah, it looks like it doesn't have a headphone jack, but uh, some genius made an adapter. Yeah, there was an adapter from the proprietary uh, charge port plug, which is actually something kind of interesting because the... Uh, micro also has a proprietary plug. It, it seems like these things kind of came out. Like I remember having my original micro around the same time that, you know, standard point and shoot digital cameras were in the marketplace. And really the only USB plug you ever saw was a micro USB like I, this was beyond the point where like USB to USB was in use because I never saw a USB to USB plug like ever. My family never owned anything that used that. But I know that we had a couple of micro USB to USB plugs floating around. But the SP and the micro never used that. I actually just ordered a USB Game Boy micro plug so that I can charge it on the go with like a portable charger or something. Yeah, it's honestly, it's been a very long time since I played my SP. I used to um, play a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, actually. Good game, very yeah, good game. fantastic game. So actually, funny enough, to go on a little random tangent, uh, when I was in high school, one of the things I would do is pick up Game Boy Advance games because we had about an hour and a half ride back home uh, each day from school. So it was always just pretty sweet to be able to pick up a random Game Boy Advance game and just sit back and play it for that period of time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually, that reminds me, I totally forgot. Uh, while I was there, I did pick up a couple of Game Boy Advance games to go with my micro. I picked up uh, Super Mario World bundled with, it was the Super Mario World that had super mario world and super mario bros but just the one where it's like you and you're in the stage with the pow block and you have to jump at the crabs and the koopas from oh, underneath so mario bros 
Yeah. 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 It was that like bundled GBA game. And I remember having that in the US, but I picked up the Japanese version because I was like, don't have to speak Japanese to play Mario. So, uh, well, I don't know, man. Mario World, you get all the instructions. So, well, if- and then I picked up a Gundam game for the GBA, which had a yellow cart. And this kind of ties into I got john his stuff which he said that i picked up for him but i also got james something i got james the uh zelda famicom disc version of the game so there in japan is a whole series of game boy advance games that come on yellow gba cartridges which are ports of famicom disc games for the game boy advance i didn't even know that those things existed growing yeah, up I, in america i had no idea man that's actually when you brought that over that was pretty sweet to see that um god man what was i gonna say i lost my train of thought when you jumped in there uh let's get into our news um okay I'm, so I'm back to right the there. news uh we'll start back in we'll just wrap up this whole japan stuff real quick so john i want to ask you I guess this is less news and more of an opinion piece, and then we can get into the actual news. But as somebody who is a vast collector of games, what I saw in Japan was shelves and shelves of used games, complete in-box, in immaculate condition, for what you would think would be, like, ludicrous. I mean, I got, like I said, I got special editions of games for less than $40 with all the stuff that comes with them. I saw uh, all kinds of things that were so abundantly packaged and all over the place. Like I went to, uh, I tried looking for, the only thing that I didn't get that I was looking for was Mother 3. I looked everywhere for Mother 3 because I knew that that was a GBA Japan only exclusive except for the recarts that you can buy in the US. I looked at four or five different places for it, asking for it, showing the picture to the clerks to see if they had it. The first place that I thought I was close, they had six boxes for the game, but no game. That burns, dude. Six boxes and no game. No game. And the thing is, this was a top seller in Japan. It did really well. It was not a hard-to-find game, and it should have been abundantly available, I thought. And then eventually, I went to a store. It was the same brand, Super Potato. If you go to Japan, look for Super Potato. Super Potato is the store to go to for used retro games. Now, I do have a question. Did they sell potatoes? Uh, there's probably some spud-based games out there that I'm not aware of that they sell. If they, potato chips would have been an acceptable answer as well. Uh, no, no, no chips. Lots of, lots of microchips. No physical chips. That's close enough. So, I went to one and they had like nine copies of the game, but it was like 57 bucks and I was like, I'm not going to pay 57 bucks for this game. To not understand a single word that is said in it. Well, I just, I didn't think that it was going to be, I bought a bunch of Japanese language games. My wife bought some Japanese language games. I mean, she's taken three years of Japanese. 
I'm looking to start relearning Japanese because I took half a semester and I've lost all of that retention because that was like three years ago. So between her help and my learning, I'm hoping one day I will be able to understand these Japanese games that I bought as some motivation. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool, man. I've honestly wanted to play a lot of Japanese games in the past, but just never really have uh, so had the passion to learn it. With that, if you could get games like I referenced earlier, like Super Mario World, if you could get games for a lesser price at a complete inbox, but in another language, if the language wasn't necessary to the playing of the game... Would you consider adding that as part of your collection or is your collection based off of, I mean, how many games do you have that you're never going to play? Does it matter what language they are or if they're complete in box, does that add value to your collection? So I thought you were going to say something else there for a second. Um, I have a, it's, it's a two pronged approach, I guess. So my collection is purely based on the fact that there are games there that I will play it. And in fact, every game that I have on my shelf that's currently not full, I would want to play at some point in time, right? There's um, not enough time. Exactly. There's not enough time. But it's a matter of being able to actually test it or play it or do what we do in inflation, deflation, play a game for a little bit. We may play that game and say, this is complete garbage. We're never going to touch it again. And that's it. It's done, right? But we can understand it and play it. Now, there are games that I do own, actually, that are in Japanese that don't require the Japanese language. And I have picked those up uh, in the past because why not? You know, it's a, if it's a fighting game, you can figure out how to get through a fighting game in a different menu, you know? Well, you or it's the same button inputs and you could just look up the English version of the game. It's going to be the same combos. Exactly. So like with games like that, I can look up if there's a small story or something along those lines, I can look that up. Rival Schools, I guess, is a prime example, well, right? And one thing I'll say that we learned while we were there... Google Translate is incredible. And just as a note to anybody who might be listening to this out there, I'm planning on going back to Japan 2021. The 2020 Olympics are going to be in Tokyo. They're remodeling all kinds of stuff. Japan was shockingly easy to navigate as a English speaker that speaks and reads no Japanese regardless of what my wife was able to help me with. The, the ability to get around in Japan is very easy. Their rudimentary knowledge of English is enough to get by on. And with the 2020 Olympics coming and all the improvements they're making, it's going to be way better in a couple years, I can only imagine. Yeah, and when you go in 2021, uh, you 100% need to bring me back Olympic memorabilia. Well, it'll be a year after the Olympics. So oh, anything I can find on the street that people are trying to hawk for money, I'll get you. There, that works. Um, but yeah, to, to go back on your uh, your question overall. So yeah, uh, pretty much with a Japanese game or really any any PAL game for that matter, you can look it up and get a basic idea on the story well, that's the as, thing. as long as you can play it. So We see that the PAL versions are usually drastically underpriced to the NA versions. Or drastically but, overpriced. I guess depending, but when we look at our uh, price charting for stuff, it does not show any of the Japanese or any Asian 
prices at all. And I always hear people reference Play Asia as a place to pick up, you know, Japanese exclusive or Asian inclusive games. And I've looked online and I've seen games that uh, I, a couple games that I bought while I was in Japan that will sell for, you know, $80, $90 USD. Or let's take, for example, even the the Game Boy that I got. I mean, a fair Game Boy like the one I got could be well over 200 US dollars. Yeah, I think and uh, I got mine for under $200 in box with the little seal over the front of it. Yeah, so last I checked, and it was probably about a year ago, I think the Game Boy Micro loose, the one you got was hovering in like the $90 range or so, just loose. So the fact that you were able to get it complete in box... $90? And in like, that I, I think you were looking at something else. Oh, uh, I don't know, man. That, that seems about right. Well, we'll let you keep looking it up. And while you're looking it up, I'll, I'll jump into our news. Um, so, oh, wow, dude. We're like 30 minutes in. So... Um, Recent news talking about used games and such. Uh, GameStop has recently announced uh, that they're going to be, I guess it's really a pilot in a sense. It's not an official statement of this is our new policy moving forward. But for the Days Gone game that is coming out on PS4, uh, they are actually going to be instituting a policy in which if you don't like the game brand new within 48 hours, you can return your opened copy for store credit. For the full amount. Now, for people that have never dealt with the idea of purchasing a new game at GameStop or any store for that matter, when you open up a brand new title, uh, you're generally not allowed to return that title at all in any capacity. And if you do get it back, if you do try to trade it in and they allow something, they will only give you the exact same game open. That's the only thing you get. So you can come in and say, well, the game's broken. We'll say, well, it was brand new. Um, the most I can do for you is, well, tra- is trade Usually it. when you buy, like I've seen this at GameStop. Like if you go in for a game, they'll pierce the seal in store before they hand you the game so that they know that it's not returnable. Like I've been to midnight releases where they've taken box cutters and open the seal themselves so that they know like hey we've sold this don't take this back as a new game don't give them their full value well you can well see that's kind of shady that right there because you are allowed to return a brand new game as long as it's been unopened so with them actually opening the title that is bs on whatever gamestop has done that um to do that because you're that's i would actually say that's uh God, that, that would just be an unacceptable practice in my mind to slice open a game. Like, what if that was a gift for you or a friend of yours and they already had the game and they wanted to return it and get store credit or, or trade it in for uh, Hey, dude, I've else. never stayed up till midnight and waited in line to buy a gift for somebody. You're a real bro if you do uh, that. I'm, I'm not saying necessarily midnight release, but the, the, the idea of them even cutting open a game is just absurd. Um, but it does kind of... Beg the question, I guess. How would you feel? Like, would you shop at GameStop more knowing that they have a policy in place, let's just say down the road, where you could buy a brand new game and say, you know what? I don't like this game and return it. And they would have it at that point just say, hey, Ryan, 
go pick something off the shelf. We're going to give you 60 bucks store credit. You got to use it here. The crazy thing about that is you've already purchased a brand new game. They're now going to get that game from you, sell it for $5 less, and then you're going to go buy a used game, most likely, uh, with that store credit or several used games that they paid pennies on the dollar for. Well, I, I mean, actually you think can, genius. There's actually a lot more acceptable things that you can do than that if you're really wanting to play the system. I mean, there are people out there that are willing to do things that, I mean, I think are acceptable. There's plenty of games that you can beat in 48 hours or less. I mean, it depends on how long it takes that game to install on your console and how much sleep you need and how much time you can get off of work. But, I mean, you know, if you want to really hack the system and you're getting store credit, you can go into GameStop and you can buy, you know, I go into GameStop and I buy Nintendo credit or you can buy Steam credit or you buy a freaking iPhone or an iPad or a Google Home or, I mean, I don't know, maybe you could buy a Nest or something. You, there's all kinds of stuff you can buy inside of a GameStop now. And if you want to go in and you want to get your, like, trial run of a game, I mean, in the first 48 hours of red boxing something, if you're going to want to finish it, or you're going to want to play all the way through it and you need that few extra days to play through it, go to Redbox and spend the 7 bucks. But if you just want a little taste, you could go to GameStop now. And I mean, I don't know what this really means for developers, but I mean, it seems like if GameStop is buying your stock of games and they're telling anybody that, hey, the first 48-hour launch window of this game... You can get a total refund on it if you don't like it or you don't want it. That seems like all the incentive that developers need to totally screw over players. Like, why put out a day one patch if GameStop's going to give people an out? Like, I mean, how long did it take for reviews to come out for Anthem? before you decided that would never be a game that you were going to touch. Like, within 48 hours of launch, I pretty much know from community reaction what I'm going to stay away from and what I might go to. I mean, Spider-Man was a tremendously well-reviewed game, and I'm not going to touch that anytime soon. Like, if it ever drops on sale or you or I want to go borrow it from Brad... We can do that. Like, there's no incentive for us to go buy that game day one launch. And considering that GameStop is basically the main seller of games, you know, both used and new in America for, I mean, the people I know, I don't know that more people go to Walmart or Target or Best Buy. Well, think think about this, so man. From you know knowing GameStop's financial situation and the amount of money that they have lost over the last several years, um, it is a genius move on their part. Because Why? every time you go to GameStop, think think about this. Think no, about this. Every for a time they sell a used game that's brand new, 
they sell it for basically new. Like, I'm going to save $5. Does that really help GameStop to lose $5 of their profit? I want you to think about this for a second, okay? So... GameStop doesn't make squat. They don't. They hardly make anything off of new titles that come through. However, when they sell a new title, they're getting your money. When you buy that title and you return it within 48 hours, based on just this one game right now, so if this expands, it'd be pretty cool. And I'm actually for this. If you buy that game, you are now locked in your $60 because you cannot, you, it's store credit. You're not getting cash back. No, if you're getting you, store credit for this. It's no, not cash back. If you buy a Nintendo points card, you're spending that money at Nintendo. You're not spending that money at GameStop. And when you spend it at Nintendo, you're getting Nintendo coins. Yeah, but I would say GameStop is not just sitting there selling Nintendo cards and not making a dime off of it. Well, no, they're definitely making something off of it. But the thing is... You gave them back a game. You got what you wanted out of it. Yeah, and so did GameStop. GameStop already got your money. So no, what's but gonna... you're giving them back the game, and you're getting back their money. So, like, they're not getting more money off of you spending. They're just giving you something else out of their warehouse that somebody else would have spent American dollars for. So I want you to consider... Everything you take off of their shelves is opportunity cost. I want you to consider this a uh, little bit of mathematics here. So if you bought a game at 60 bucks, okay, and say GameStop made $5 off that one brand new game, and then you returned it, and GameStop said, well, here's 60 bucks, right, in store credit, okay? They are now getting that used copy, which they're going to sell. They've already made their 5 bucks initially. So if they sell it for 55 break even in a sense, right? They're still going to get money from you, that 5 bucks when you buy a brand, another brand new title, you might or, not buy a brand new or title. Or if you bought Nintendo points, they're still going to make money off that. So they're still getting money. Or you may say, you know what? I'm going to buy two used games that I've been looking at for a while back. Because you're locked in on that 60 bucks. No matter what, GameStop has your $60 at this point, plus well, the tax. No, but every used game that you buy from them... Yeah, they got for store- pennies on the dollar. But every used, uh, yeah, I guess. So I mean, regardless, you can't, you can't beat the house. So I guess you're ultimately right. I just say that because, dude, if if you buy two games from GameStop at thirty bucks, they probably paid about nine to ten dollars a piece for those games, well, right? We all know that they we, rip you off. We all, yeah, exactly. So you are locked in on that sixty bucks. GameStop has your money no matter what. The only benefit now is: Are you going to buy that brand new title at Best Buy? who doesn't have that policy or are you going to go to GameStop and buy it because hey in 48 hours what's I can Best go to, Buy's return policy on open the same games? as every other uh, company dude if you open the game up you cannot return it so GameStop giving you that out in a sense they still have your money but that's a better policy like I would rather buy a game used or brand new at GameStop knowing I can get out of it because of all these issues like Fallout 76 and Anthem and all these other crappy games that have come out in the past. If you buy a brand new game from Best Buy, I cannot return that game and get any and credit. And then you get a insurance policy on it for like three bucks. Okay. That insurance policy covers your game and that exact game only. So if that say for example, the well, game they gets, open the seal on that game when they give it back to you as an exchange. Yeah, that's actually happened to me in the past because you are you were physically trading your brand new game that you got 
But your copy is open and you're trading it for an unopened copy. So they have to open that. They copy. will open that copy up. So that that's where it comes through is no matter what you're locked into that game. Whereas GameStop is saying, Hey, you know what? We know you don't like that game. Go pick something else off the shelf. We're going to sell this used. We already got your money at 60 So that's bucks. why GameStop was opening copies of new games. Because to show that, hey, this is not a sealed new copy. This game has been sold before. Well, um, no. So GameStop has been caught in a past of shady practices like, uh, what is it? Xenoblade Chronicles, I think it's called. Um, you know, Not worth it. By the way, folks, not worth it. I got suckered in by a podcast. Xenoblade <laughs> Chronicles 2 for the Switch. It's a very weird, not very interactive game that I was not as into as the person I was listening to tried to sell me on it. I, I picked it up on a Black Friday pretty cheap. But, you know, what GameStop was doing was they were the exclusive uh, seller of that game, right, out of Japan. So they had a license to be able to sell it exclusively. No other shop in the U.S. was selling it. So when they were selling it in store brand new, it started hitting eBay uh, or the Bay for, you know, 80 bucks or whatever it might have been, right? GameStop said, well, we can't sell it at the suggested uh, market price of, you know, $40, or we we have to sell at that market price. However, if we slice them open and sell them used, now we can sell them at our used price, which is what eBay is at. So that's what ended up happening with that particular game. Your experience that you had is complete BS because they shouldn't be opening up brand new games and handing it to you. You should have the opportunity to open that up yourself or decide not to and return it within their window that they have for a brand new unopened title. So they do have a policy on that too, existing today. Now, if they go the route of this 48-hour period, that'd be awesome. I would actually probably start buying new games at GameStop for that reason alone. I mean, this is the thing, and it's it's a tear between me and the market. GameStop has been... A part of my gaming experience forever. I've loved hanging out at GameStop. I've known people who've worked at GameStop. I've hung out at GameStop like in my free time while my friends were on the clock just hanging out. I've played tons of demo consoles over and over at GameStop. I love GameStop. It's it's a part of my gaming history. I'm going to hashtag GameStop on this recording. And the GameStop's like the only thing still standing. I mean, there is no more... EB toys because they bought them. There is no more. And it, they are in Canada, actually. There's no more Sam Goody. Did they buy them too? I don't know. They went out of business like three months after I bought the membership to them. Suncoast. That was another one out in Florida. Uh, they were part Florida. of Sam Goody. Oh, were they? Yeah, that's where oh. I bought my anime at the mall. Yeah. There's a lot of shops near us, at least, but, well, but it's the not thing the same. Is, there's like mom and pop third parties, and then there's GameStop. And that's another thing that's totally different in Japan, is every store that you go to is like secondhand. Like you go to a shop, it's got a floor of secondhand games, secondhand anime, secondhand manga, secondhand hentai, which is probably weird and sticky. Oh, but, dude, know, I hey, don't. I would not buy secondhand hentai. Hey, especially those pillows. But they got them. They have. They're not secondhand, are they? I, they're secondhand, and everything that you buy is sealed in plastic. Hentai secondhand pillows. Oh, you betcha. Please tell me there were no holes in them. I didn't open any to find out. I wouldn't. <laughs> but anyways, the thing is, in Japan. 
there's been no retail beyond retail as in there's no rental service in Japan. There is no legal way to rent video games in Japan. They never had the blockbuster spree that we had during the 80s and 90s and early aughts. So the difference in the market between us and Japan is that Blockbuster destroyed millions and millions of boxes and manuals. GameStop does it too, actually. On all the new retro consoles that people are trading in, they are tossing the boxes for those retro games and people trade them in. Who trades in a console with the box when you can sell the box online for way more money? Uh, a lot of people that say, oh, you actually take uh, old Sega games or Nintendo games. Oh, yeah, 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 we do. All right, well, I would think that I'll people going in. to GameStop would be at least smart enough to use the internet. No. Apparently, dude, come on now. I used to work in a secondhand shop. You know how many people would go in and bring a stack of games? And we're like, yeah, I'll take 10 bucks. Not that I did that personally, but... There, you know, I was one of the honest ones that I would say, you know, your stuff's worth X amount. This is well, what I can give there's, you. There's there's so much abundance of this stuff in Japan compared to here if you look at the price. And that's just one of the reasons that I can think of. And I just I hate to see GameStop be considered the bad guy, especially when they're trying to offer something that seems like a really good deal that people could take advantage of and finally kind of get one up on a corporation which is also kind of weird for me because the corporation i'm telling you to get one up on is one that i kind of like so it's a really weird position for me to be in but i think that ultimately my opinion on this is that hey if you buy a game from gamestop and you don't like it bring it back because that's what they want you to do, and they'll do well on that. But I just... At I, least in this instance of Days Gone, and as where it uh, currently stands. And we'll share the article as well in the... Oh, YouTube. well, Days Gone, I have zero faith in. If you buy... If you're dumb enough to buy Days Gone, and is it, it isn't way better than I think it's going to be, because I am my own ultimate judge on material then you know what? By all means, give it back because the promotional material has me convinced 0%. So it sounds like uh, you're not a big fan of the PlayStation title that's coming out Days Gone. Is that a no. good segue into uh, the new news that has come out on the PS5? So there is some new news on the PS5 and we will gladly get into that for a short time here. So as you uh, look that up, I will no, comment. No, I've already got it up oh, right here. Well, I was going to say, I'll, I'll, I'll just comment that based okay, on our ahead. GameStop, you know, little thing here. Uh, leave in the comments uh, any suggest or not suggestions, any uh, comments of your own on how you feel about a potential policy of returns within 48 hours. So, and also let's clarify something here because this was something that I had clarified for me for further reading the article. This isn't 48 hours within buying the game. This is 48 hours within launch of the game. You need to be a day one buyer and then you have one day or a day and a half depending on when you buy it and get it installed and how much you sleep to return it. You're not going to go into GameStop two months later 
buy a new copy and have the same opportunity. This is within launch window that you have to return it. Let's just be very clear with that because otherwise it would be like, what? That's crazy. It would be awesome if they did that. All right, man, you're pulling up that article. What's going on with the PS5? Okay, so let me just start off here. This is a uh, Games Radar good site article by Alex Avard. It was posted two days ago. And let's just start out here with the one thing that I really have to take, and I hope I'm not wrong on this because I'll sound like a total jackass if I am. All of this was confirmed by Sony, by the way, in other articles today. No, this, this one point. Okay. Did he say? Uh, it opens up seemingly out of nowhere. Sony has dumped an info drop of news about its next generation plans, unofficially known as the PS5. Let's just assume from now on that whatever PlayStation comes out with as its console is going to be the PS next number in the number system. Well, like, like they're not going to jump from the PS4 to the PS3 to360. Like, let's just assume that after the one, two, three, four, that they're going to move on to five and subsequently six because they're the only people in the industry that have that title in hand and they're going to keep that upper hand of an easy to understand numerical system so that grandmas don't go into target being like, I don't know if it's for the Wii or the Wii U because it's almost the same name and I'm 80. Like, let's just assume that PlayStation just keeps adding one number per generation from here on out. Can we, is, is that a fair assessment? No, because the PS4 Pro came out last year. <laughs> Yeah, but it was still a PS4. But it was a Pro. It was the next No, but it up. wasn't a PS5. But it was a Pro. No, but it, if you went out and you said, my grandson has a PS4 Pro, what games can I buy? You could assume that any PS4 game would work on the PS4 Pro. Well, yes. And from now on, we can assume that any PS5 game can work on the PS5, but actually... What this article says is that... My favorite thing ever. The PS5 is going to be backwards compatible, which is such a relief to hear from Sony after all this time of not doing that for whatever the fuck reason, even though for the last year, year and a half, two years, I don't know what it is. I don't own an Xbox One, but Xbox One Every month they come out with, hey, guess what? Here's more Xbox 360 games that you can play on the Xbox One because, you know, technology and patch notes. So, dude, I'm actually pretty stoked about the backwards compatibility for the four for two reasons. First reason is it's us, it's us getting one step closer to the other rumors I heard a while back of backwards compatibility all the way to the PS1 which would be flipping sweet. Um, and then the other thing is there's also been rumors of a wireless PSVR headset. So if it comes in wireless and it's backwards compatible, that means I could start picking up all those PS4 games 
that are VR related for a super cheap price and play them on my PS5 with my new headset. Well, I mean, there are hundreds of PS VR games and you know what? I'm really hoping to be able to be the first uh, game deflator to get into that market now that I have a PS4 Pro and kind of relate some of that information to some of our followers. But this is the thing that I'm wondering is like, I don't know why it just hasn't been in there altogether. Like if I can play PS1 games on my phone, how hard is it for the PS4 to do? If you could play Xbox 360 games on an Xbox One without, you know, much trouble by just adding some patches in, how hard is it? I don't know any of this. I'm not a game designer. I'm not a tech head. I'm not sure what's going on here, but it we seems like it should be that. possible. I mean, you can play PS1 games on a PS3 even if you can't play PS2 games on it. Yeah, that literally has made no sense to me at all. And every PS3 plays PS1 games. That's what's just baffling. It's me, just dude. part of it. Yeah, it, it's just so ridiculous. Um, more on that article. So they are talking about uh, SSD hard drives going in. I think they said it's a standard two terabyte drive. And they're also talking about ray tracing, which is something that I've heard a lot about. And I actually heard a really good explanation for what ray tracing is. But basically what ray tracing is, is that all of the lighting effects react through physics in the system. So any kind of lighting effect coming through rather than just lightning or darkening within a radius around it, whatever textures are in that radius, it actually reacts in real time with math to take into account the lighting effects on the actual objects rather than just whatever program textures are supposed to be lightened or darkened. So it's, it's a much more intensive type of thing and it's supposed to be the next generation of graphics. And I'm already so far beyond graphics. I'm already so far taken into, Hey, uh, Borderlands looks great because it's cell shaded and this game looks great because it's this. It's like I'm so far gone from the the latest Call of Duty has the best graphics. It's like the best graphics aren't what makes games and sells games anymore, even though it kind of pushes the technology forward. I feel like we're all kind of beyond that. So if ray tracing is going to break the edge of gaming and make it that much more immersive... I'm all for it, but if it's not a part of VR, I really don't think that it's as cutting edge as people want to think because I just think that the next edge of selling systems to be cutting edge is going to be in VR because Stadia did nothing to talk about VR, but they did talk about having potentially... 8K 120 FPS graphics through well, streaming. And dude, that the beauty of that is the PS5 is supposed to also have 8K graphics based on that article. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like if Stadia can do 8K graphics 
and PS4 can do 8K graphics. Well, PS5. But, or the PS5 can do 8K graphics. Well, guess what? Stadia can do that in my Chrome browser as long as my monitor supports it. So all I have to do is buy a nice monitor. I don't have to buy an 8K TV and I don't have to buy an $800, $700, $600 PS5. Well, I so think, it's uh... like, if I can do that with Stadia, that's fine. The next cutting edge of console definitive stuff is going to be in VR because Stadia hasn't. And moving forward, I'm just going to, at least until it launches and we see where it's at, I'm going to say there's Stadia over here, which promises everything that we have currently in a Chrome browser on my phone. And then we have, you know, Six hundred dollars in five hundred hardware. I think they they've come out and said it's probably going to be likely in a five hundred dollar range. In fact, okay. Sony's going to lose money on each uh, one sold. Well, yeah, they've done that every console they've ever sold. Uh, did they on the PS4 though? Yeah. Okay. Every console ever sold has lost money because they make it up in first party titles and accessories. There's no money in consoles. The money is all in accessories and after sells. Except Nintendo. I think they make no, money even on their consoles. Are you sure? Well, Nintendo I mean, pieced together a pretty cheap not system. As, not as much. I mean, Nintendo generally underpowers and underprices their devices so that they are more profitable. But I don't think every console they've ever sold has been at a profit. But anyways, they're the only actual only game company. Every other company has subsidies. Like, I have a PS4. Now I have two PS4s. And I have a Sony soundbar and a Sony TV. Stadia, I only need one thing and Stadia. But for a PS5, I need a TV that will work with the graphics. I need a console that will work with the graphics. Multiple so, controllers. HDMI no, cable. Well, no, that that's included. The HDMI cable comes with the console. Yeah, if you want a better one, though. Is there a better HDMI cable? There is out there. Okay, so anyways we're oh my god we're at an Ryan, hour and we, we haven't even talked about the thing about what thing the ever loved ever missed inflation deflation challenge all right let's, well, let's finish on this let's yeah let's this. just wrap this up real quick so anyways moving forward i'm going to compare what stadia promises to what the next generation promises because they're both aloof mystical things that don't exist yet so so far Stadia and PS5 offer good-looking things and you have to have a screen that will display it. But in one, you need, you know, a console that's probably going to be expensive and in the other, you don't. So I'm giving it to Stadia for now until they announce some kind of VR because I'm really banking on our past conversations about the PS5's built-in inclusivity of a VR next-gen system, which we really haven't seen a VR 2.0, and I'm really waiting on that. 
which who knows when we're going to wait for because they've already said it's not going to come out in 2019 and we already know that Sony's not going to have a press conference at E3 in 2019. So I guess we're waiting for well, they're Space saying, World 2019 to hear about the PS5. They're saying uh, it's either a spring or fall release for the PS5 of 2020. I would probably lean more towards the fall because that's typically what they've done over the last three consoles. That's when people have Christmas shopping to do. That too. Except that it's weird because Nintendo released their stuff in the spring and then they obviously had that high-end momentum during Nintendo the Nintendo does year. what they do. Well, yeah, because they're Nintendo. Um, so keep an eye out on Microsoft though because they did release, I think it's the Xbox one xs or whatever the hell it is without a disc drive and it's all digital for a hundred bucks less the all digital edition of the xbox one s which just means that hey it's fifty dollars off the thing nobody really wanted anyways yeah pretty much and all digital so I'm actually interested to, though to see if that picks up because that will be kind of a, a test market in a why, sense. Why would you buy it? Like I, Titanfall I'm not saying two I would buy came it. out how long ago? Like what was the last reason to buy an Xbox I, since Titanfall? I am purely just saying keep an eye out for it to see if they have an increase in sales for some random reason because that'll help set the tone for the other consoles and it'll help set the tone for Stadia as well. Um, all right. Xbox One is like already Xbox is already putting games onto Switch and trying to pass off their licensing so that they can launch their Xbox platform onto other things because they're probably like if if Microsoft doesn't come out with a next gen console I think there's already plans for it to come out. Well no, but I mean if it doesn't compete with Stadia like I don't envision the PS5 failing. I think that the PlayStation has too much backing. I know Nintendo's not going to fail because we're probably... We'll have to talk about this next time because we're running short on time. But We're running the, long on time. Yeah, running long on time. With the Nindies development coming out at Gamescom talking about how Nintendo's going to start probably giving out their license a little bit more freely with the new Crypt of the Necrodancer Hyrule hybrid with Zelda. I have not seen that yet. Oh, it looks incredible. It's uh, Cadence of Hyrule. It's a Crypt of the Necrodancer Zelda mashup where Nintendo gave the Zelda license to a one-time game developer who made a rhythm game to... Make something incredible. So if that keeps coming out, I really don't see Nintendo going anywhere. But if Microsoft came out with the Xbox, then the 360, which was like the splash hit, super success. Which in the end, at the end of the day, still sold less consoles than the PS3. Well, and the Wii, which completely smashed everybody. But yeah. the 360 was still wildly successful. The 360 was an incredible gaming console. And then they came out with the Xbox One and then the Xbox One X and then the Xbox One S and then the Xbox One S Digital Edition. Like, if they go out with that and their next console doesn't sell super well and they just go back to not doing anything, that will be an incredible, like, blip. Like, they'll be, they'll be the modern Sega. Oh, I so hope they are. Splashing out with what would have been the Dreamcast, except not as incredible. Like, 
I, I think it would be hard for people to say that, like, even though people are happy with their Xbox One S's and whatever it can do, like, there's no way that the Xbox One was a more impactful system than the Xbox 360. Like, the Xbox 360 was way more influential in the marketplace and way more prevalent and way more of a player than the Xbox One ever was. Definitely agree with you on that, man. So it, it's like, it, we'll see what happens from here. We'll see how they react, especially if they're already, their latest announcement was like, hey, we've got our console, but you can't put discs in it. And PlayStation's like, we got PS5. And Switch is like, or Nintendo's like, we got new Switches. And Google's like, hey, guess what? We got nothing except for exclusive games and playing other games that you already want to play anywhere, everywhere on anything that you already own for no extra cost with whatever controller you can manage to plug into it. Like, like in this current market, like I really feel like Microsoft has to respond and they're already probably having some weird debate going on. Like I'll just throw this in. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to wrap this up, but there's just been so much going on since we've been gone. There's the whole thing with all the exclusives coming for the Epic play store, oh. and the Epic play store, challenging we'll have, the steam store. We'll have, to, we'll have to hold off on James for that one. Cause uh, he's a big PC gamer. So I'm sure he will enjoy talking about that. Okay. We'll get to that next time. Anyways, uh, on, on to, like I said, it's been a long time coming. You've been waiting for weeks. It's the beloved and well-missed Inflation Deflation Challenger. John, who do we have in the corner this week? Well, um, I would say the name is Chuck Rock. You called it something else when we were playing it. Um, but Chuck Rock on the SNES is what we went ahead and played this week. Uh, Ryan, what's the price point on Chuck Rock? I accidentally said Chuck and Rock because I was thinking of something else. So anyways, we're talking this week about uh, 1991's Chuck Rock, a slapstick side-scrolling platform video game published by Core Design for the Atari ST and the Omega Computers. Ooh, we should play it on the Atari. Well, it came out for all kinds of stuff. The Archimedes, the Amiga the CD32, Atari ST, C64, Game Boy, Game Gear, Mega CD, Mega Drive, Master System, and SNES, all the way from 91 through its last release for the CD32 in 94. This Ooh. was a long-running game. And Man, it was, uh, I didn't realize how many consoles that was on. No, dude, this thing was on everything. It was developed by Core Design. Published by Core Design, Virgin Games, Sony ImageSoft, and Chrysalis Software. It was uh, it was a decent game. And currently, it retails loose $8.99, complete $23.30. Yeah, that's, that's still baffles jump. me. That, that baffles me a little bit. Actually, while we're at it, because that's the SNES price, and obviously we would consider it loose because that is what my copy is. Um, I am curious, what is it going for on the Sega Genesis? Because that would be the other console that we could compare it to. Um, while you're looking that up, uh, the game itself, colorful, 
interesting in that um, Genesis only slightly higher at nine twenty five. That's a twenty six cents price what about, hike. What about complete in box? Uh, complete in box less twenty one seventy five. Yeah, it is easier to so find. So it's pretty comparable. Yeah, it's not too far. It's off. within a buck and a half either way. Yeah, not too bad. Um, so yeah, colors were good. Sound was good. The music was pretty good. Except for Game Boy. Jesus. Game Boy Loose 21, complete inbox 124. Everybody threw their Game Boy box away, folks. Well, and, and Nintendo boxes in general. Um, so yeah, all the things that I just said about the game itself, the elements of it were pretty nice. Uh, I would say the controls, in my opinion, were a little bit clunky on this title. Um, it was at times difficult to jump onto certain ledges. Uh, and then the ability of throwing rocks was interesting. But the thing that kind of hurt the most, I guess literally in the game as well, is when you're holding a rock and an enemy runs into that rock, but damages you. That makes no sense at all. At any point in the game, did that make any sense? Um, but I do like the ability of grabbing rocks, chucking them, hence the title Chuck Rock, and using them to climb up on different ledges that are too high, using them to hit the other end of a lizard so you could bounce up higher, using them as weapons for enemies, and then the manipulation of different rocks to get to different areas. So you might take a large rock and place it near a ledge and then run back to grab a small rock that you might need to use in a different section. So I think the those mechanics tied with the overall gameplay, the overall colors, everything that was involved, the music, the humping caveman, all of that good stuff culminated to what I felt was a pretty decent game. I wouldn't call it an A, but I would call it a solid B minus. So I would I would say in the 80 out of 100 range or so is where I would put that game. Now, we did only play about, what, 20 minutes of that title? So not a whole lot of time to really give a full analysis, but in the time frame we played, which was probably about the first four levels, I felt it was pretty good. Well, but you also caught on to what you may not have even known was kind of some of the core design of this game, John. So Chuck Rock, the main character, described in the Wikipedia article as a square-jawed caveman characterized by loudish and lewd behavior, perhaps influenced by the lad culture of the 1990s. Uh, He's got a punk-style mohawk and... uh, He's got a penchant for picking up rocks and throwing them at things, hence his name. And in the intro, he is in a rock band. So that kind of rock aesthetic is not only an homage to his caveman, but the music. And I think the music kind of rang through pretty well. Like, even though some of the platforming was a little little wonky and some of the... uh, things were a little bit like if you put a big rock down and then you put a little rock on top of it, it was very difficult to land on the big rock in such a way that you could still pick the little rock up off of it and reuse that artifact to move it somewhere else. Like it seemed like it was kind of locked in. You put a little rock on a big rock and I mean, it's a, three life and you're dead kind of game and it was meant for replayability so it's really not like a big setback if you screw up something once in a level 
but it is one of those things where you know the game is really well designed from an intentional aspect but it's kind of restrained by the times in which it was produced like i feel like if this game came out in 94 during its final release and that was in its initial release there would be enough game history behind it that all the things that the creators intended for this to be would have been a little bit more refined and would have rung through a little bit more true and it would have pushed this game a little bit above i mean where we played it as of now i would say that if you got the patience to put in for a little bit of a challenging older game with some good style, this is definitely a pickup for nine bucks. But the complete inbox for 24, I wouldn't do. But if it had that three year later development cycle to, you know, put it a little bit more modern and put it, you know, a little bit more into some more traditional game mechanics and development and a little bit out of some of that outdated stuff, I think this could have been like a a much better game than what it perceives to be from the first few levels that we played. So what would you consider from a, uh, um, an aggregate score standpoint, where would you have it at? I put it at about an 80% out of a hundred. What would you score it at? Well, we've never done that before, John, but I will tell you what Wikipedia says. Oh, you're killing me, dude. So Wikipedia has an aggregator. Game Rankings says that for GEN, it was at a 68.75. For the SNES, it was at a 63. And for the SCD, it was at a 50. And then a review score, Sega Master Force gave it a 91%. I don't know how those numbers add up. Well, you know what happens if you kind of mesh the two together and you get the average of a 68 and a 91, you get an 80%. What is yours? Um, I will refrain from a numbers-based system, and I will say that I think that what inspired me to choose this game today was watching somebody else play it, and I think that it's definitely worth playing. Like I said... I would buy this game if I saw it for $9 or less. I saw it for $9. I mean, hell, I might spring for the tenor just so that I don't have to walk home with change in my pocket. I think that it's a decent enough game that it's worth playing and it has a lot of heart and feel in it. And I think that's what makes this game a little bit more worthwhile than some of the typical fare we might have. All right. So Ryan's going to probably put it about 80%. Um, Fair. Inflated or deflated? I'm going to go with neither. I'm going to say that this game is accurateflation. <laughs> this uh, game is flated, man. This is a solid balloon. I, I would say it is perfectly balanced. It is right where it needs to be. And uh, I would not pay a penny more than $9 for this title. Well, me personally, I, I would never pay nine dollars for the title. I'd pay much less. But in terms uh, he'd of pay over- a whole eight ninety nine, which is the going rate. Exactly. So not a penny more. Not that nine dollar mark. mark. Not the nine dollar mark. No, I personally probably you know, 
if I saw it and I didn't own it, maybe five bucks because it's just me. But would I say it's worth the nine dollars or eight ninety nine as you put it? Yeah, I'd I'd say I'd put some time into it. You know, I think it'd be worth it. it you know, if you were to buy a game right now on the Switch for ten bucks and get as much playtime out of it as Chuck Rock for the same price point, shoot, I'd play Chuck Rock. I mean, for what I paid on Switch for two crude dudes, that was ten bucks, right? It was ten bucks. Yeah, Chuck Rock's worth it at nine. Yeah, bucks. yeah. I'd I'd say that I'd say that Chuck Rock is at least as good as Two Crew Dudes, even though Chuck Rock is a single player game. Yeah, that's. Are we sure? Yeah, yeah, we're sure on that. Are we sure? I believe we're sure. I believe we're sure. I might be thinking of yeah, other single games. Player. Okay, I, I was like, I've been playing a lot of games this week on, uh, you know, SNES based games, and I, I thought it might have been too. Uh, well, sir, I think that was a pretty good inflation deflation. We are sitting at close to the hour and 20 minute mark going now. So it's been a long time coming folks, but this has been episode 26 of the game deflators podcast. I'm so glad to be back. John, so glad to be back. James is so glad to be wherever he is right now, but I'm sure he'll be back in no time. And uh, as we said in the beginning of the episode, if you've lasted with us this long, you should subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Oh, Leave and us Google a five-star rating on iTunes. It doesn't matter to us, but iTunes loves those five stars. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hashtag Game Deflators. Hashtag Tokyo Takeover. Hashtag See where Costco. I've been. See what I've seen. Did I just hashtag Costco again? I guess so. Have you been taking pictures at Costco? I I was there about an hour ago. Hashtag don't buy Kirkland Light. It's terrible beer. Why would you buy that? It was a 40 pack for like $30. <laughs> what? It seemed like a good deal at the time. Don't buy it. Don't go camping with it. You won't want to drink it. Hashtag we're not going to be sponsored by them now. Anyways, right. we're going to leave you there today, folks. I've been Ryan. And I've been John. And we're the, the Game, Game Deflators. Deflators.